the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, episode 158. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello, Unruffled listeners. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign. Please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery, all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show as our way of saying thank you. If every listener did this, we would be over the moon. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. And that's not it. You can share our show on social media or with your friends, and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes. All of this helps our little show immensely, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now, on to the show. Hey, Sandra. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? How are you faring today? I am neck deep in mask making right now. So I have no time to consider my emotional state. (laughs) (laughs) I am just cutting and sewing Mm -hmm. like in a, in a mad state right now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so what was the impetus? Like, how did you come well, to Well, you know, I was not going to dip my toe into, I was going to make some for my family and I wasn't even going to do it be, only because, well, I always make that joke that the, you know, cobbler's children or the cobbler <laughs> has no shoes. I make that right. joke all the time. Um, but what ended up happening was my husband needed some to take to work. And I was like, okay, well, I'll crank out 20 for you. And then again, like I thought, well, I'll put a picture, I'll take a picture of them because they looked so pretty all in a big butt mass. And, um, and then, but you know, and the reason it wasn't like a selfish reason that I didn't want to dip my toe into it. I just thought, oh, there's plenty of people making masks. I'm not needed. Mm -hmm. But then I put it up on social media. I put it up on Facebook and then I shared the picture on Instagram and come to find out (laughs) People still need masks, I guess, because, you know, like every person is recommended to wear one now, even when you're going to the grocery store or whatever in public. Um, So, yeah, I have about uh, bulk, you know, two, you know, orders of twos and fives and fours and tens, but it all adds up to about 150 masks. So I'm going to be super busy all from today we're recording this on Wednesday so Wednesday through the weekend I think I'll be in my studio making masks so wow I you know I in my morning meditation and prayer I asked to God the universe just use my talents and 
you know, to their highest potential and this is it. (laughs) I am a seamstress and I think all the seamstresses across the world are, are, are being called to this right now. Yeah. I love that. It's interesting how these, how these, uh, yeah, through prayer and meditation and conscious contact with a power greater than myself, like to have faith and believe that and to, and to listen to it, that is not something that came naturally to me and actually still is a little bit wonky for me. It's a practice, right? So I have to keep practicing it, but I kind of had a similar thing over the weekend. I was, um, I realized a lot of people have been messaging me, messaging me about my proof of life project. Um, and I had put it on hold. It was supposed to release, release on the 19th of March. And I just thought the world doesn't need that right now. You know, I, I don't, I don't have the, I don't have it in me to promote anything right now. I don't feel, um, I don't feel like it quite honestly, but over the weekend, I just, I had this, um, morning thought when I was kind of in my conscious contact state, I was thinking, just finish it, price it so that people can afford it, put it out there. And if nobody wants it, they don't want it. Right. And then I can move on because I feel like I'm kind of stuck. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, I'm at the, uh, the mercy of my wonderful web designer because she's very busy at home with her kids and homeschooling. Whenever she can get to it and wrap it up with me, that's when it's going to release. I'm not going to be the boss of it and I will let it go. So that felt like a nice, um, kind of clearing up the decks for me creatively that I think that maybe something, um, not that my desires that, Oh, I need something to be born from this, but I know from the practices I do and that something will be born. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know what that is. Right. Put it out there and it's available for the, for, for those who need it. There it is. So yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, so all of that for me is, um, is just, uh, going to wrap things up is how I feel right now. Like, so let's just wrap up a few things. <laughs> yes. Yes. Other than that, nothing big on my to-do list, trust me, other than talking to you and our guests. And, and that's been lovely. That's been lovely. Today was lovely. Yes. Today was lovely. And we're so excited to share with you this conversation with my friend Tara Mormon. <clears throat> I'll um, give you a little bit of her bio. Tara and I just very quickly, we talk about it at the beginning of the show, but we've worked together on and off through change your story. Actually, we're in our second um, incarnation of that. And so she and I have gotten to know each other really well um, beginning last year and then through this year. And um, she's just, she's just so wise. She's just the perfect voice to speak to um, you know, where we're, where we are right now. Um, but to let you know who Tara is, she is a healer with 19 years of professional experience as a mental health counselor and life coach. She combines mindfulness, yoga, breath work, and shamanic practices with her clinical training and knowledge and seeks to be a supportive witness, wise observer, and a compassionate cheerleader for those she works with. She's also a theatrical improviser, dancer, performer, writer, and artist who likes pen, paper, wire, beads, dirt, paint, and any other thing that strikes her fancy in any given moment. She has two children, both furry. Sophia is a a 12-year-old border collie uh, cross, and Ivor Needletooth, Ivar, Ivar (laughs) Needletooth, is her 11-month-old feline demon, and she's happily quarantined with her improv duo mate and partner, Steve. 
Yeah. And you can follow her at a few places. So on Instagram, it's falcon underscore and underscore acorn. And you can like her professional page, Tara Mormon PhD on Facebook. And you can check out her webpage at it's ondhealingandcoaching.com. I was delighted. I learned so much and I, I can't wait to dive into all the tools that she talked about and that she shared with our listeners. So absolute delight. Yes. Y'all enjoy Tara. Welcome to the show, Tara. Thank you. Hey, Tara. Hi. I'm so excited. I'm really like my, my face is um, sore. Oh, you have a good smile too. And I know this because you and I have worked together for many months. Like right now we're in our second incarnation of change your story. So we have really gotten to know each other, right? Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. And you have a, such a sweet, warm smile. And, um, you know, when Tammy and I were talking about who we wanted to come on the show, um, right now to that could speak well to this, you know, current, the current climate that we're in, um, you were the first person I thought of, um, because you're just, you're, you're so smart. Um, but you also have like this arsenal of spiritual tools at your disposal. And we're going to get into all those today. Um, but it's not like you're enlightened either. It's not like you're ascending to heaven or anything like that. (laughs) You struggle like the rest of us do and you share it when you, when you are struggling. And, um, I think that that's so, um, I think that's so needed right now. Uh, Your voice is just very needed right now. And um, so with that introduction. Yeah. And Tara, Tara, I don't, I don't know you very well. So I'm looking forward to getting to know you through this interview. And I know that Sandra thinks the world of you. And so she thought you'd be just a perfect fit. So we were really excited that you said yes, especially with this pandemic that's going on and people, you know, some people are doing things and some people are laying back and saying, I'm not doing a damn thing. Um, So wherever you land on that, we appreciate that you made time today. Yeah. So First, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit, let's start with like your alcohol story, since that's usually where we start. And that's what the show is about, recovery and creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, is that a wide, did I cast a wide enough net there? Oh, for you to yes. Grab you a hold it. of something. <laughs> yes. Um, my alcohol story is long and boring. Um, I think it's boring. Um so my parents were both alcoholics and I come from a, a very, um, at least the first, well, my mom, finally, my mom got sober when I was 18. She tried to kill herself on her 46th birthday and she got sober and um, my dad followed that about uh, almost 10 years later. So I basically, I grew up with alcohol my whole life. Um, I actually had my first small drunk when I was four. Um, I went, I, I, I liked alcohol y'all. Uh, <laughs> I went behind my parents' backs in Japan, um, my parents and their friends, and I drank the residual sake mm. 
out of their cups and I ended up getting us all kicked out of the hotel. So that is my first drunk. At four. And do you remember? Um, No, I remember the first time I had cream de mint and got a little bit. And that was like at eight. So alcohol has been in my life for a long time, but it was always, um, I would go through periods of certainly of binging, uh, as a professional in the field, I've tried to diagnose myself multiple times and I've never met criteria, Mm, (laughs) but, mm -hmm. um, but it's always been there. And I've always been that person who, I mean, I, I've, I was, I have a bipolar diagnosis as well. And I've been in eating disorder recovery pretty much since the beginning of my, like, since I was six months old. No, I've had, (laughs) I had an eating disorder diagnosis when I was 15. So, um, that whole desire to change my internal being has been there for a long time, but alcohol, I was always, um, cognizant. My dad told me one time, he said, kid, be careful because you know, you're going to like, you're going to like drinking and you're going to like getting drunk. And you know what that looks like. They were, and they were violent. They were violent people. So I've always, it's always been in the back of my mind that there needed to be controls around it. Mm, Yeah. Um, What ultimately happened, uh, I feel like I've been in this space. Do y'all, have you heard of Charlotte Castle? No. Charlotte Castle wrote a book, um, I want to say in the 90s, maybe even in the 80s, called uh, One Road, wait, One Journey, Many Roads, or Many Roads, One Journey. Okay, and I have heard of that book. It's beautiful. She came up with something, this is aside, she came up with something called the 16 Steps of Recovery, because for her, the 12 steps weren't quite doing it um, from a feminist perspective. So but she has this beautiful way of talking about recovery. She calls it uncovery and discovery rather than recovery. And I feel like I've been in uncovery and discovery my entire adult life. And part of that was ultimately figuring out that drinking a glass of wine for me leads me to want to kill myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really that simple. Like I, I hadn't, um, gotten drunk in years. I hadn't, I've never been a, like a daily drinker or anything like that, but I would drink socially and then go home and want to cut my wrists. And then I would go and, and then I would still, I would do it again. You know, the next Thursday or Friday night, my friends would want to have a drink or as Sandra knows, I'm in the um, theatrical improvise, I'm in the improviser world. So there's a lot of drinking. And so I would think, oh, well, okay, I'll have a beer. And I would go home and just want to crawl under my bed and hurt myself. Um, and I hadn't, I was a self-harmer a long time ago, but I, so I haven't done any of this stuff, but it was there in my, in my spirit. And so um, that led me to stop several times. And then it finally led me um, to just completely finally be done um, this past summer. And it was just like, uh, it was a very easy decision. It was just like, you know, I, this is stupid. This mm-hmm. is stupid. I don't owe anybody that glass of wine. Right. And I'm going to hurt myself. One of these, and I have that, and I also have that, um, 
had enough in the back of my back there in my fat blob in my head that said, you know, you may not drink a lot right now, but if circumstances got like, if I were still drinking during this time, I think I'd be dead. You guys, right. because I think that I would probably not that I would drink every day all the time, but I think I would drink myself into a suicide. Right. Cause it would just, it, it would just, uh, exasperate your, your mental health. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I, you know, and with, um, yeah, I just, I, I think of, and I know Sandra and I kind of talked about this one time about, you know, all these folks that are kind of jokingly saying, oh, glad everybody's hoarding, hoarding toilet paper so that I can hoard wine. Yeah. And I'm thinking, with isolation, desperation, and alcohol, I, and without the practice, you know, if I were in a different space in my life, I, I would be dead. Yeah, that, that's the recipe, right? Like, yeah. And to have the, the, um, the experience now, or, the, or you know, these, these days that we have under our belt sometimes, um, you know, we only have today, I know. However, um, grateful that we could kind of almost like our intuition told us like, you need to stop this shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Something's coming and you need to be ready for it. And I'm not saying like, I knew that this was going to happen, but life is going to happen. And um, I'm glad that you knew that. Me too. Something and I'm deep inside of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I knew it for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, it just took me, it took what it took to get me to a place where I was like, okay, you know, this is, this is, I have bigger, I have bigger work to do. And, uh, this is not benefiting that pro that process at all. Right. I, going back to one, one thing that you mentioned about your father sharing that with you, I think it's just how tender and vulnerable a parent that gets sober is right. And, and honest, um, so transparent. I know that I've said those same exact words to my kids and probably will continue to say those words to my kids. It's interesting to me. I I don't know. I don't know why that popped for me. My dad, so my dad, um, my dad had to go to treatment in, I want to say like 1975. He tried to, my father was a four-time Vietnam veteran. He was a, a counterintelligence officer, so he did some some sketchy stuff and had for sure had PTSD. Um, and when I was uh, four or five, he he tried to kill my mother, mm. um, and that did not stop him from drinking. He kept drinking, and they kept fighting. And my father's process really, I think, was more similar to mine than my mom's. My mom had to go to treatment. She it was terrible. My the end of my mother's addiction was awful. Um, my dad uh, had a martini one night for dinner once they had moved here to Texas, and he called me about a week later and he said, "Kid, I I think I'm just going to let you know I'm not going to drink anymore." And I said, "What? What do you mean?" He goes, "Yeah, I just don't think it's serving me anymore." So he just put it down. Um. But when he told me that I needed to be care- careful, he was active. He was actively drinking at that time. I don't know why that feels like something to say, but my mother, on the other hand, never talked about it. It was a completely different 
it was a completely different shame experience, I think, for my mom than it was for my dad. Do you, do you think that being a woman, that there is something different about that? Like for us that, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed now, but I know in the beginning I was. I think, honestly, my yes and is mm. what I'm going to say to that. Um, yes and. Wow, that that kind of that hit that hit me in the heart in my heart because that that just makes me um, my my mom. So my mom died. This is actually part of my story, and I <laughs> my mother died in 2013, and um, she died sober. She she was 25 years sober when she died, but she never walked away from some of the shame from her past. She never, I wouldn't say she was just dry, right? Right. But she wasn't as, gosh, she wasn't as joyful and peaceful and serene as I would have, I would have liked her to be. Right. Because there's, there's, there's abstaining from alcohol and then there's emotional sobriety. Yeah. And she, there was stuff for my mom that she just never could, you know? And I think part of that, and this is coming back to Tammy, the shame, shame in women. um, Part of that I think was her shame over how her, um, her alcoholism, her mental, uh, her mental illness, how all of that uh, I, I ended up with, <laughs> you know, mm. and she always, she could never um, see me as having problems because it hurt her so much. It brought up her shame. I didn't know that at the time too much, but I know it now. Yeah, um, that makes sense. She, when I told my mother, when I told my parents I had an eating disorder, I had been, I had already been diagnosed. I'd gone to a clinic, um, down in about two hours from my house in Denver, Colorado. And, um, I finally, I came home and I was just desperate. I had been in and out of the hospital the year before for dehydration and liver problems and all this stuff. And nobody ever talked to me about an eating disorder. And I came home one night and I told my mom and she was drunk. And I remember she looked at me and she said, that's not true. You're lying. Why are you hurting me? Mm. And I knew and that that's a key moment in our life where I knew I could not be not okay with my mom. Right. Right. Well, and you know, I was never able to be, um, you know, transparent with my children until I got honest with myself. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. My mom and I found a lot of, during the last year and a half of her life, I moved her. So I had, um, my mom lived in Kerrville. That's the whole reason I came to Texas. I'm not a Texan. Um, and for the last year and a half of her life, uh, I brought her down to San Antonio and we lived um, next door to each other in apartments next door to each other. And she and I came to a lot of, uh, I think we came, we finally came around the bend in that last year and a half, you know, I finally heard some of the things that she had held for so long. So mm. Mm. there's a, there's a line, Elena Brower 
talks about it in her ritual of recovery spoken word piece. And she talks about, um, I was addicted to ignoring what I knew. Mm-hmm. And I think about that, like with what you've just said here, like, and what Sandra mentioned about emotional sobriety, it's like, I don't ignore that stuff anymore, but I did for a really long time. Yeah. And even though my mother doesn't drink, right. Like my mom, um, ignore for safe, for safe, reasons right for her to feel safe you know has to ignore a lot of what she knows and um when that's modeled for you as a young girl um i i definitely inherited that and i'm and i think um i think that now i am modeling it hopefully to my son that you don't Mm -hmm. have to do it that way and even modeling to her a little bit um that it can be done differently she's in a different state of mind right now she's some health issues but when she um i think it frightened her a little bit that i was no longer ignoring what i knew yes um, in the beginning of my recovery so yes my i know that i scared my mother i know Mm -hmm. i did because you know my my discovery and and recovery started a long time before i actually decided to stop drinking and i think that I, i i think my poor mom was terrified for me and of me sometimes I love how you say it. Like, yeah, the discovery and the uncovering. That's so, such a beautiful way. I, I looked up the doctor's name that you mentioned, and I'm going to check that out with the 16 steps. That's beautiful. I really love her. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, <clears throat> Tara, that was, oh, that was a beautiful story. I, you told, you said a lot of things that I don't think I've heard you say before. Um, Let's talk about, so you're, you're in your professional life, you are a, a counselor, yes. um, but then you also are like a, a little bit witchy, a little, oh, <laughs> 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 um, you are a performer, um, you are just a, a, just a very wise person. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of your um, shamanic practices and like how you you got into that and um, how that's how that's helping you right now specifically? Sure. Yeah. Um, oh, Ooh, I, I know. Been, uh, I I've been a I think I've been a spiritual seeker my whole life. And I've heard that from so many people, you know, with, uh, with addictive issues and, um, things I've been looking for something forever and ever and ever. And I have, I, oh, I was raised Lutheran, converted to Catholicism, did all the, you know, just blah, 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 blah. I've taken refuge in Buddhism. I've done, done all these things, <laughs> just trying to find something. And, um, I finally, I think the first time I found God was underwater. I was a scuba diver in Guam. And, um, that's when I walked away from organized religion. Uh, and then paganism rolled into my life and Buddhism rolled into my life. And it all finally kind of rolled together. I would say I'm more than a little bit witchy. <laughs> yeah, you are. I'm pretty freaky <laughs> yeah. witchy. Uh, I do call myself a witch. I call myself a Norse witch. I am. Um, I, the story that I, uh, 
I guess the, the, the mythic story that I live in is based in very old Norse. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know quite how to explain too much of that, but I've found that having a spiritual story to ground into was important for me. And that's the one that fit the best. The creation myths of the Norse fit the best for me. The, the I like the, I, Oh, I like what you just said. I like what you're saying right here. Yeah. Finding s- your own personal spiritual story to ground into. Yeah. Finding for me, I, I needed to find something that resonated deep inside of me. And this is what did. And it started with, I'm an only, basically an only child. And I really, I was raised um, just in my family. So I had my mom, my dad, and me, and then we were far away from all my relatives. And I wanted something to ground. I've always wanted something to ground into. And um, the Northern myth, the Northern myths and creation stories and folklore and all of that stuff resonated with a a part of me that I believe is ancestral. And so um, all of that uh, combined with a very strong connection to a women's spirituality group here in San Antonio, group of witches and healers and uh, shaman, and they define themselves in all kinds of different ways. And then um, becoming a, a breathwork healer. This is, I feel like I'm jumping, but it's kind of a weird. They're all connected. It's all connected. Okay, yeah. Um, so all of that was there. I was I was already very involved in the um, in my pagan community, and I've I've been I've done um, journeying, uh, shamanic journeying for about 25 years on my own. So that's always been a feature. Um, mm. I'm, I, I'm intrigued. So, yeah, yes. I, I'm deep into symbols and internal travel and um, discovering God. I have guides and all of that in my life already. And I'm also a rune. I'm very grounded in the runes. So I know that a lot of y'all's um, listeners are tarot people, tarot people. And that never, never, ever pulled me, but the runes um, pulled me in a very, very deep way. They, they pull me in with their stories and the connections that they have to my story. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anyone's not familiar with runes, can you give a brief yeah, that sure. was my question. description of what they are? Yeah, yeah. So very basically, the runes are... Um, they're a Northern European alphabet system and they have been used for at least thousands of years for everything from writing to uh, magic and divination. They're very powerful symbols once you get underneath their stories. And um, mm-hmm. yes, that's what they are. <laughs> and, and if you if you see them in a store, they're very ugly. They're just they're like they look one. like little odd shaped dice almost, right? They um, 
They're usually on, if you buy them in a store, they're usually on rocks, but they look like little lines on rocks. And Mm -hmm. when I was first introduced to them, I was like, well, this is real boring. Right. (laughs) They're not pretty. Um, It took uh, a really deep dive into um, Icelandic saga stories and Norse mythology and getting into that piece of my ancestry that actually opened the rooms for me. Right. It seems like that's something that you could study for decades and definitely. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, but when you, you, you can give yourself, you can like give yourself a reading or give somebody else a reading sort of like, uh, yes, tarot reading or something like that. Right. They, they can, be used. can be used for that. They, um, I use them. I actually sing them. Um, because they do have a resonance to them. So it's sort of like chanting own, only oh, yeah. using the runes. Um, I travel with them. I carry them as symbols, either in journey or in regular life. Um, the stories that are connected to them, once you dig deeper, are very, um, are strengthening to me. I suppose they would be almost like uh, some of the stories that the runes carry would for me would almost be like someone who's um, Christian and very Bible oriented. And some of the old stories of the characters in the Bible are very powerful for people. So it's, I can relate it in that way. Um, And then on top of all that, I, I started doing breath work after my mom died and started having even bigger internal experiences and shifts in, um, my understanding of who I am and what my purpose is and how I walk on the earth and breath work led me to shamanism. Finally, there, there's the short end. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, breath work led me to shamanism and my work with the runes connects to my shamanic practices and the training that I'm doing right now. Can you help me understand this, Tammy? Can you help me understand um, like what it means to be a shaman or how like there's training for it, like you're saying, right? And and I've only journeyed twice, uh-huh. but it was profound. And it 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 unlocked work the first journey. It unlocked work that I did for an entire year. And then I did it again in January this year, and I had to stop because it was so much I couldn't do. It was a week of journeying, five days, mm-hmm. and I I couldn't do it all. It was so overwhelming. It was about voice that came up for me. And um, I had to just pause and be like, and I couldn't do the assignments. Uh, There was like some guided things like to make a collage, which I freaking love, but I I couldn't do that work Mm -hmm. because it was so big. And so I feel like that is my work this year is to kind of take it in bite-sized pieces and follow the breadcrumbs kind of where it leads. Mm -hmm. Is that typical of a journey? Is it something that unlocks something for that is, you know, much more to be done, or I don't even, I, I just know my experience, but I, it was profound. Um, yes, there's another yes. And <laughs> good. I love asking you these questions. Yes. And, <laughs> um, I think, wow, it's such a, there's so many pieces to that question. Um, I think the thing, that, so I've been journeying for a long time, as I said, I journey and I have journeyed for myself for a long, long time. And I've always, I've not always, I'm sorry. I've, I've also um, facilitated various kinds of journeys for people. 
some of my own journeys have been so big that I could almost say they've taken over my world for a year. Mm. You know, like a single journey has occupied my spiritual space for a year. Um, and some have been smaller and more immediate. I think that journeys that are, are, I think that a well-facilitated journey can pop things open for people that they can't achieve on their own, especially if they've never done it before. Mm -hmm. um, and I also want to say that for me, I didn't call myself a shaman. And still I'm hesitant, honestly, that, that I do shamanic practices. I would not call myself shaman at this time. Um, the key thing for me, the shift between journeying for self and shamanic work is a shaman is a healer for the community, not for themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's been a big shift for me, um, recognizing that as a person who does journeying and shamanic practice, um, my motivation for a lot of my life has been selfish in that I've been using it for my own personal healing, which is fine. Mm -hmm. And now the practices that I'm working with um, and the way that I'm orienting myself and orienting myself in the work is other directed. Mm. Oh, I was just going to say that that brings up another question then Tara, does that, when you reorient yourself towards the community, is that like always on now? <laughs> I mean, do you feel like you're extra porous now and you're like taking on this collective grief or can you, you know, turn it on and off? So <laughs> before this happened, <laughs> before COVID, right. Um, uh, and I know Sandra and I were talking about this a little bit, I think earlier, um, before COVID-19, I would have said, ha, I'm a healer and my, uh, my protection system is firmly in place. I don't take my clients' stuff home with me. They, I mean, I work in my home. I, it doesn't cloud my space. I know how to clear. I'm protected. I, you know, all of those things. And then this happened. And a piece, so, so a couple things about this. I started, um, I decided finally to do formalized shamanic training just this year. And I started it on my birthday. I was in Iceland on a lone retreat and decided this is what I'm going to do. So I opened myself to shamanic, to, to actually pursuing being a shaman for the community just in February as COVID was activating in China. And it had actually been rolling a little bit already, but we were, we were starting to hear, like, as I got on the plane to go to Iceland, 
we were hearing um, warnings about COVID about um, coronavirus. So I stepped into the shamanic thing <laughs> as this pandemic is coming coming to four. Um, and as I said prior to this, I would have said, "Ah, oh, my shields are perfect." <laughs> right. But what I've become aware of is that I am my I am porous. Yeah, I'm more open now. I think I'm more open, and I think that the huge, the vastness of this event this gigantic um, unplanned for shift in our consciousness and the collective fear and anger and sadness is it's getting me and I was just talking to my teacher about this yesterday and about the fact that I feel like I feel like, you know, after years of being fine with all of, you know, with other people's energy, I feel like I'm swimming on the ocean and there are people under me um, pulling at my feet constantly. And it's not terrible, right? I don't feel like I'm drowning. I don't feel like anybody's trying to hurt me. I just feel this kind of constant underlying malaise. Mm-hmm. And my teacher and I were talking last night about, um, and she did, she did some journey, some shamanic work for me yesterday. And a piece of that work was finding, um, finding a guy who could help me stay buoyant above that, um, Mm -hmm. in order to be more of service to the world because my energy was literally draining out of my like out of my toes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that a bit of advice though. It's just, I mean, what a, uh, you could generalize that. Like we, no one can do it alone. We all right. need, a, a, whether it's a spiritual guide or a, a in real life person to help us. Yeah. And I keep think, us buoyant, keep us buoyant. And I think being, you know, the, the thing for me is awareness that this is happening and that, you know, so many people that, that listen to you, that this is, so my experience in this field and personally is that, um, we have a lot of impacts and I'm fortunate to, I think through just through repeated training as a clinician, my, my, um, my shields were pretty good to begin with, but I think it's important for us as empathic people, as human, just as human beings, really, to be aware that we are interconnected. If nothing teaches us that we are interconnected, I hope that this does teach us. And part of that lesson is that we feel the grief of the world. Even if we think we're okay, a lot of us are out there feeling the grief of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And being aware of that and care. And so adding an extra layer of care for ourselves because of that, I think is important. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I've almost been visualizing it as like this web that's like underneath us all, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like a line to another person and then it crosses over another line to another person and another person, like this really interconnected web is how mm-hmm. I've visualized it the last few weeks, like in my meditation. Yeah, yeah, we were, um, we were recently talking about, uh, this was in my, um, in my shamanic group, we were talking about, you know, the folks who are, um, who are isolated in ICU and dying. Yeah. You know, and how they're not allowed to, their family's not allowed to see them. And the medical professionals they're coming in contact with are, are covered, you know, as much as, as much as they can be to protect themselves. And so they're dying alone, mm. um, possibly without human touch. And if you just think of that, it, the feeling that that pulls in, in my heart tells me, you know, I'm not the one that's in there alone, but I can feel that. And that tells me I'm connected to that person. Right. Yeah. I think I, for me, I've missed human touch the most. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's already, it's already been my story for the last five years, how much I've missed human touch. Um, but now it's just exacerbated, you know, by all of this. Um, I have a quick question. I'm sorry to kind of go back, Sandra. I'm, gonna, I'm sitting in this room and there's a pillow in front of me and it has the words, the journey on it. Uh-huh. So I'm just staring at it and I have to go circle back. So I've done a couple of journeys and Sandra, I'm sure you know what they are, but for our listeners who may not know what a journey is, we pro- I probably should have asked that back then, but can you explain kind of, you know, briefly what that is so that they Ooh. understand? <laughs> Ooh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, if you can <laughs> I mean you know very briefly a journey is going into your internal landscape um, possibly asking for information and encountering um, encountering potential answers that's that's kind of what a journey is um, I think the best way for people who have never experienced, who, who don't have any clue would be um, if you were to do a guided visualization on YouTube where somebody says, and you find yourself on a path walking through a forest and in front of you, there's a clearing, but you haven't reached it yet. Who do you see in that clearing? That is an example of a facilitated journey. journeys can get much more complicated mm-hmm. and they usually contain um, riddles and symbols rather than direct ans- answers for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and people have different ideas of what's happening. You know, there are um, cultural notions that the journey is actually out of body. Um, my my belief on journeying is that it is my journey into my deepest interior where all of the information that I have collected over my lifetime and possibly the ancestral knowledge and cultural memory is stored. And I go in there 
and I pull out stuff that I know on the deepest level of my being, but don't know on the surface. Right. So it's almost like where archetypes reveal themselves. Yeah. If, um, if we were yeah. talking to Jung, to Carl Jung, he would certainly talk about archetypes. Um, my, uh, my shamanic teacher, um, when she, one of her, um, one of her guides is actually uh, more like a Star Trek character. So it contains, it's going to be imagery that uh, often that we identify with. And then sometimes things that seem completely new. Thank you. That's a good answer. Yeah. Thank you. That helps a lot. I, when I did journey, I did not know what I was going into. I was completely open-minded and I didn't even understand what I was doing really. Mm-hmm. I just thought I'll give this a try. I like this teacher. I'm going to give it a whirl. And yeah, what was revealed and I won't make this about me, but just by the fourth day I was like, Oh, this is, this all happened. All these memories and journeys are taking me back to, um, you know, 1977. Yeah, That's interesting. And what is that about? And so it was a whole year of kind of, dissecting and unfurling and clues were revealed, you know, more would be revealed and it was, and to just keep, it was a nice reminder to stay open and keep staying open to it. But yeah, it was, it was one that took a year ish and Mm -hmm. and it's still revealing itself, but okay. I just, I wanted to help if the listeners were like, what are they talking about? Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you, what do you think, Tara is, I mean, this is asking you to predict the future, but okay. Okay. Let's, (laughs) let's just try. Let's start small Um, here with the question. (laughs) My instinct is telling me that, um, the toll on mental health, that this is, is going to have a long tail, a very long tail, um, even when, even after we're allowed to, you know, open our doors and, and go back out into the world. Um, are you, do you have thoughts about that? I predict that counselors and therapists are going to be very busy over the next, you know, five years, even. I think you're, yes, I think you're right. I think that this, um, I'm, I'm very concerned right now about, about the right now of what's going mm-hmm. on with people with mental health issues, you know, people who are, who were isolated to begin with and are now um, more isolated. I, I worry so much. I think about people who have um, health anxiety, you know, and how this is working, for, how this is working on that. And just, yes. I think that this is going to be a long recovery for a lot of people. I think that um, I think that people who have pre-existing mental health disorders are only part of it. Um, that that alone, that alone, people with pre-existing mental health disorders, perhaps who have been in and out of treatment or who have not. Um, that's going to be, uh, we're going to see a huge surge, I think, in folks 
checking into treatment of various kinds, um, counselors and therapists um, having more to do. I also think we're going to see, a, I, I think we're going to find out there have been, and there's going to be an increase in suicide. Um, but I also think that we're going to see the average Joe person who didn't think anything was wrong. I think we're going to see those folks come out of this with, I don't want to say PTSD, um, because it's it, it's a clinical diagnosis that I'm that I'm not getting into, but I think You're we're going to have some work to response. do, right? Yeah, I think we're going to see a trauma response um, from folks who who don't even know it's coming, mm, um, yeah. because the way, well, for for a few reasons. One, this was very it, as slow as it might seem like it's it has been for some of us. This was a very sudden experience. Right, and for those of us in the United States and Western culture, it was a very sudden pull um, away from what we identify as ourselves. Right, as a as a person in Western culture, I can go out and do whatever I want to do when I want to do it, and I can buy what I want when I want it. And you're not going to tell me what to do. And we're, I'm, you know, it's a it's a selfish, consumer driven. Um, autopilot culture and we have been forced to stop and that alone is traumatic to us to to systems the um when someone's identity is shifted dramatically mm, that right. causes the brain to go wait what mm -hmm. and so then we then we see the grief response right we see denial and anger and all of that business i think that that grief response is going to continue because people aren't going to know when we get kicked back into possibly what could look like it used to be, but I don't think it will. Um, I think that's just going to be like another hit. People will just be settling down and then they'll get this hit. Okay, go back to work. And I think we're going to see people kind of lose their minds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of it, um, I don't think we're going to come out of this and go right back to normal. Right. And so I think we're going to see, um, an increase in adjustment issues, just people not knowing how to move in, in the new way. Right. I think you just gave me some language to explain how people in recovery, like how we are possibly more fortified to, I don't know, handle this. Um, when you said, uh, when you mentioned the, the shift, the identity shift, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, if you're in recovery, you've already experienced a major identity shift. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to, and to whatever degree you're at, you've done the grief work around it. Yeah. That's yeah. why a little bit, it feels, um, or first, I mean, I know this is all still unfolding. So who, who knows how we'll feel tomorrow or next week, or this goes on for months and we're still at home, but um, just knowing, like you said, Sandra, like we, we have already shifted so, so much that, um, it feels like we were preparing for this a little bit Yes. or feel more prepared, I guess is what I should say. Um, uh, I think we had a, a former guest on here that talked about, um, did a Harry Potter reference, like that we're like the wizards, right. In, mm -hmm. in recovery mm -hmm. and that 
all the normies are the muggles. <laughs> so it helps me when I remember like, oh, the muggles are having a hard time. Like the muggle, and, and, and I am too, yes. but I do feel like I have this extra layer of wizardry that I kind of um, can pull out of my bag um, for moments, not all day, definitely not all day. And I have to start over the next day and do it again because I, you know, forget what's in my bag of tricks, but mm -hmm. um, the muggles uh, will have a hard time, I think for sure. And I, you know, I, I when I talk about, um, you know, the choice to, the choice to walk into recovery, uncovery, discovery, whatever it's compelled by, right? Like if we're, if we hit a hard wall, um, go to, go to jail, any, any of the things that push us into a space of radical change, right? Whether that is just, you know, for me giving up a glass of wine because of the impact of it, or it's, um, giving up drinking daily, having to move into a sober home, losing my family, all of that stuff. Whatever it is, it, it, it pushes us into um, a space that's like, I always talk about the matrix, and I'm like, we, we take the red pill, and there's no going back. And once you take that red pill, it's, it's like um, there is that radical shift, and it's also this, this new space of awareness and functioning that I think a lot of folks who are just kind of like I called them the average Joe earlier I don't know if that's fair but folks who are just moving through their existence and don't know that there's anything more inside them outside them around them are going to struggle harder with this radical shift does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, that's what I was yeah. trying to say. Yeah. You said it yeah, better. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you said yes. it just fine. <laughs> I just no, but I, that, I didn't mean it to be condescending, but you're right. With, that, ha that isn't questioning anything inside, outside, whatever they are. Yeah, it is going to be a little bit more difficult. Yeah, and it, yeah. It's, um, mm, it's, it's what I love about, it's truly what I love about working um, with folks and and also my own I'm, I'm pretty obsessed with growth transformation and personal change like i i will walk through a fire if someone says this will radically alter your experience of life i'm like cool. right you know? or, and and also uh you know oh if you look deeper at yourself and i am a four in the enneagram so that's just me. right look oh, deeper right. at yourself and pull out some more pain and suffering <laughs> and you can change, and it'll help change the world. I am on it. Yeah, that's your invitation. You're like, fine, I'll RSVP to that. Right on. I'm the first right, one there. Great. <laughs> right, right. We had Amanda Grace on the podcast uh, last week, and she's also an Enneagram Four. And you're right. I mean, yep. you know, we thought of both of you women, and be mm -hmm. and it's because of that. You guys are not afraid. Let's go. We're going on the journey right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I um. I've had a, I had a journey one time. I wanted to dissolve fear. <laughs> and um, some of my friends look at me like I'm really kind of out there and, and it, may, it may freak you guys out, but I'll tell you anyway. Um, <laughs> I wanted to dissolve fear. And so I went on a journey and I ended up facing Kalima, who um, is, is notoriously a pretty scary goddess in Hindu tradition. Um, for those that don't, who are not her, her true worshippers, she can be very scary. She's a goddess of time and death. 
and she ate me. And, wow. and, and I did it willingly. Like she, she said, this is what it's going to take. I'm going to have to kill you and digest you and spit you out the other side. Doesn't she have like a long ass tongue too? She has a big old tongue <laughs> and lots of weapons. <laughs> and she, she's scary, yo. She is scary. <laughs> I've also seen her in a, in a beautiful way too. I've, I've experienced her. Um, I moved past it at one point, but, but I'm, I'm, that's what I want. I want to be transformed and I want to witness other people going through that transformation. And this pandemic is in my mind, a giant um, forced rite of passage. Some people are going to move through it easier. And I think that, um, people in recovery, uh, if, if they have their tools, if we have our tools in our, in our communities in whatever way we can do it, I think those folks, that's, that's part of that. They're, they, as you said, Tammy, preparation, we're prepared. Right. Right. Um, but I think everyone is being offered an opportunity to, to shift. Oh, yes. You are so right about that. Yeah. Yes. I just looked up Kali Ma. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's oh, yeah. got, she's got, a, wow. she'll get you. <laughs> as fearsome as she may appear, she is the most compassionate goddess of them. And yeah. she rides a lion. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I can see uh, that. Wow. She, if you want, um, in, in, uh, since, do y'all, do y'all both do the yearly tarot spread? I think so, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you guys use the wild, the so wild think, unknown. Okay. Yes. Which is a beautiful deck. Um, there's a deck, a uh, feminist deck. It's a round deck. And now I'm drawing a blank on who did it or what it's called. Her name was, nope. It went right out of my 50 year old head. I can't, I can't find it. But anyway, it's a round, it's a round deck. And her tower card mm. has Kali sitting at the top of it, throwing lightning bolts down at the ground. Oh, oh awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I love it. So if she's the goddess of time, creation, preservation, and destruction, so yes. it's kind of like all of this, it's kind of like what's happening right now, right? She is a, she's considered um, basically a great, one of the great goddesses because she covers it all. Basically mm -hmm. she takes it all in and does it all. Mm, I love it. Oh, yeah. thank you for introducing me to that. That's great. Absolutely. You might like also, Tammy, you like, you might like Durga. Durga? Yeah. I R D U R D U R G A. Okay. Yeah, I'm all sure. into researching everything right now. Cause I don't, I don't have any know. I don't, I don't know time. Durga. Hang on. Do I know Durga? Durga is great for boundaries. Y'all really, she's lovely for boundaries um, and, so and courage and things like that. Okay. Oh, she does Thank have you. a bit of a kinder face. Uh -huh. She's like, uh, open all heart. those arms big tall walls <laughs> yeah oh that's beautiful thank you i like i said i've been um part of my practice during this time you know to just be at home and just is researching things and things that i'm interested in and where it comes up or did i hear about something oh i heard this on a podcast and now i'm gonna go down that rabbit hole and that's kind of how my recovery is uh -huh. uh, but now it seems more concentrated because i don't have a lot else to do right now 
Right. You know, or if I do, I've let some things go and just say that that's not important right now. I'm just going on what is what I'm being called or guided or what strikes my fancy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So thank you for these. I have them up here while you were talking and, and the 16 steps uh, of discovery and empowerment from Dr. Charlotte Castle. I'm looking forward to getting into that too. Um, Tara, I, there's like a bazillion other things I want to talk to you about and we're not going to get to it. And I did not remind you before we started recording that I hope you have three tools from your Unruffled Toolbox that you can share. I'm thinking sure. you probably pull some out of your hat, right? Sure. Um, before we get to that though, really quick, if anyone, um, you know, when you're, you're in our, our secret Facebook group and all that, but you also have like a pseudonym or another name that you go by and that's like your your social media name as well so um can you tell our listeners what that is sure um i also go by falki heathdottish which is a it's an icelandic name um falki is falcon and uh heathdottish means daughter of heath who was a uh she was a, a norse volva which would be kind of equated to a Norse wise woman or a shaman or a seer. Oh, yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Cool. I don't think I knew that. Oh, that I don't talk about the last name very often because it's so hard to pronounce anyway. And it just, and people are just like, oh, okay, what? <laughs> no, I know. Before we started, I was like, what did, how does a white woman, how does a white girl from Texas pronounce it? <laughs> Heath daughter. Falky Heath daughter. There we go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, okay. Tara Falky, which I've always called you Falky. Falky um, is really my chosen I love that name. I think it's, it's beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. So can you share with our listeners um, three tools then from your unruffled toolbox, things that are maybe you're just using right now in, this, in these last few weeks during this the quarantine um, that are helping you stay on the path and unruffled, as we like to say. Yes. Um, so the first thing is uh, Zentangling, which has just recently popped in the, up, in the Unruffled uh, Facebook group. I noticed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been doing Zentangling for, I guess, since 2015. And just in October, which is Inktober, if you're into ink art, uh, I started a daily practice with Zentangle. So I've been doing, today was 191 days in a row. And I found that having a daily practice that is one, cr- creative, but also Zentangling is controlled mm-hmm. creation mm-hmm. feels very settling to me. Yeah, because for our listeners that have never seen a Zen tangle, so it's on a square, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like there's a pattern, and it almost looks kind of eschery a little. Some of them do, some of we them can. don't. Yeah. yeah. There, um, so there are many, many patterns. Um, there are 170 official Zen tangle patterns, but there are many, many others. And they're built to 
resemble patterns in, in nature or in architecture or whatever, but they're not actually built to represent those things. And when you tangle, you, it's a very, it's a mindful practice. So um, it is all about, you, you draw a square string and then you draw a, you know, a, a pencil string in the middle and then you fill those strings with specific tangles and you take each piece bit by bit and it's it's just it is another form of mindfulness practice and it's it's contained i i took amanda grace's um uh wild wild what is it called, hmm. what is it called? her online um raw yes i did oh. raw yeah and it i loved it and it also freaked me out because it was so it's so not contained in a small square <laughs> right same so, for me yeah. oh my gosh <laughs> so zentangling for me is contained and structured and I do it every day when I'm having coffee and it keeps me it keeps me good for the day you know way. what it just reminds me of now um it's almost like making a mon a mandala right yes mm -hmm. yes mm -hmm. and there actually are Sandra there are zen men you can there are um folks who teach how to do mandalas with zentangling. Got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that that is my, that's like my priority. I do it every day, no matter what. Unfortunately, my partner supports me in that <laughs> uh, and doesn't think that I'm just being, you know, silly or whatever, which has happened to me in the past. So anyway, that was a jump back to my <laughs> toolbox. Um, I, I have journeyed a journey every day. Mm -hmm. And I journey, so I journey for myself sort of as a way to, so once you, in my experience, I've journeyed for a long time and I have guides that have been my guides for up to 25 years and I can go in a journey and be very comforted in a space that has grown for me over that period of time and with, um, with guides that have grown with me for that period of time. So I use journeying as a space to get advice on moving deeper in the day or, or releasing what I need to release during the day. And then also just as a way of, re of resting, getting away from this and into a deeper space that's more settled. Mm -hmm. So that would be number two. Um, there are two, there are actually two more, but, um, I would, uh, walking, I picked up Nordic skiing, <laughs> uh, Nordic ski walking, um, right after I got back from Iceland. So I go out and, uh, ski the asphalt in my tennis shoes. <laughs> I love oh, that you do this <laughs> every day. Uh, wait, and, tell me more. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I will, I will actually send you a Nordic ski walking. Yes, yeah, please. Popular. <laughs> very popular in Europe. And um, I have a friend who says she sees people doing it in the Pacific Northwest too. But um, so basically you, you have uh, what amount to cross country ski poles. So not like trekking, not like trekking poles, but long, um, they're measured to, they're measured to your body, uh, cross country ski poles. And there's a particular way of walking with them that uh, is just, it's, I don't know why I like it so much, except maybe that it's it's related to my Norse heritage. <laughs> but yeah. there's a rhythm to it, and um, 
I find that when I do Nordic walking, I, I don't dawdle as much. So I actually get a better, I get some sweat going and I get my heart rate up a little bit. And I think that that really helps me. Oh, and right. Cause you get like a pace. Yeah. You get it. Mm-hmm. You get a nice pace and your hands. Um, and I don't know if you guys just heard me flip into an accent <laughs> that happens all the time. Um, <laughs> your hands aren't free. Right. And so I'm a, I'm a dawdler and a picture taker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same. Um, and a messenger. Like I've got to get on, I've got to talk to people when I'm walking, but with Nordic uh, ski walking, I can't. Mm. So I've walked um, all over San Antonio, all over my kind of the central San Antonio area. I usually do, um, I usually do about three miles, but I'll, I'll go up to about six or seven miles a day. Wow. So that has been really lovely. And actually seeing, honestly, for me, seeing the empty streets and the empty parks in silence has been beautiful. I really like it. Um, So the San Antonio River Walk is um, in parts, in parts and places empty and it's amazing. Yeah. I can't even imagine what the river, cause I've, you know, living in Austin, of course I've been to San Antonio many times. I actually ha- have lived in San Antonio before, mm-hmm. but yeah, seeing the river walk empty, I bet that is just surreal. It's, it's strange. Yeah. It's mm. very strange. Mm. Um, so walking. And then the last thing uh, that I'll share, and this is a part of a shamanic practice is actually doing, doing ritual work for the world. Mm. Um, we light candles for, um, the grief, the grief of the world and sending just very consciously doing energetic work, um, for, for us as a collective has been really more, more centering and grounding and healing for me than I imagined. Cause I, I, I'm pretty, I can be a pretty selfish being. I'm very comfortable with myself and what's inside of me is pretty interesting to me, mm-hmm. but reaching out and pushing that, uh, just putting just a little bit of a dot of energy out into the world, mm-hmm. thinking of others and doing, um, you know, doing compassion meditation for others has been really good. Mm, I love that. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful way to be of service to the world. It sounds like it's right in alignment with who you are, Tara. Feels that way. Yeah. I really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, me too. Thanks so much for connecting the dots with me with Falky and or Tara. I'm, I feel really lucky. Like I got just a new teacher. I'm very, I feel very lucky. Oh, wow. Thank you. I feel, I honestly, I feel like I rambled a lot, so I hope that it. Absolutely not. Our listeners are going to love this. Every word of it. We're queen of the ramblers, Tara. So don't, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take that title. Um, No, you were delightful and insightful and I loved it. We're going to read your bio, Falky, but why don't you really quickly tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet? Okay. Maybe Um, Instagram and website. Instagram, I, you can find me at Falcon and Acorn, Falcon underscore and underscore Acorn. That's where I post my Zentangles and any strange artistic thing that I might do. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Falky Spins. So it's Falky underscore Spins. Uh, so I'm a hoop dancer and that will be where I post anything hoop related. <laughs> oh, I like it. Um, 
you can find me on Facebook at Tara Mormon PhD. Those are your spots. And then my professional website right now is owned, that's O-N-D, healingandcoaching.com. Perfect. Yep. Owned is actually a word for breath, uh, for breath and inspiration in Old Norse. Oh, of course it is. I love that. <laughs> I yeah. love that. I'm learning so much today. This is great for my quarantine. <laughs> I have all these notes to go check out. I'm like, all right, I can go dive deep into this. This is good. A small plug. If you, if you want to be just mildly entertained for like five minutes a day, you could like us at Ramen on Sunday on Facebook. That's I was going to say, thank you for mentioning. <laughs> what is Ramen and on Sunday? Ramen on Sunday is my, it's my partner and I, we are um, an improv duo of Ramen on Sunday. Uh-huh. And we have been doing, we just recently started doing like five or six minute videos, um, improvised videos with the characters Harold and Ethel, who are talking about various things related to COVID-19 and being sheltering home together. Love okay. it. <laughs> Ramen well, on Sunday. All right. Yep. Sunday. Seeking this out right now. <laughs> and we're both sober. So it is, we are a sober uh, improv duo. So lucky. Yeah. Oh, that's great. All right. I'm going to follow you right now. Follow yep. you. What I'm going to do. Great. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Falky. My pleasure. Thank you very much. I still feel a little starstruck. I'm, I'm going to go have some coffee and breathe through it. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, it, we're easy peasy, right? Totally easy peasy. It's, <laughs> yeah. just, it's just so weird to have walked, I've walked around parks and all over town with you guys in my ears. Mm. And so getting to actually talk to you has been really fun. Oh, well, it. thanks for saying yes. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers, Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.